0: A phenomenal proving ground for many of the fastest growing fintech plays in the world today. Okay, let's roll.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Breaking Banks Europe. I am Francesca Liberti, and today I will be your host. So in this episode, we are going to discuss uh, about fintech ecosystems and uh, how to successfully uh, build them. So I've spent myself um, five years building up Holland fintech together with uh, Don Ginstel in the Netherlands. And I have a kind of a feeling of the complexity (laughs) that there is around that. But I'm also very happy uh, that today I have here with me uh, three exceptional guests that will uh, help us navigate this topic. So without any further ado, let me introduce you, uh, our guests. We have uh, Matthew Gamster, CEO of SME Finance Forum. Hi, Matt. He- happy, very happy to have you here.
2: Great to be here.
1: Nice. And then we also have uh, Ezio Nelson, Head of Client Engagement at BAI. Hello, Izio. Thanks for joining us.
3: Good morning. Great to be here.
1: And last but definitely not least, Rodrigo Garcia de la Cruz, CEO of the Spanish startup Finovating. Welcome, Rodrigo.
4: Thank you very much for the invitation.
1: Thanks. So, guys, before starting, I'd like you to uh, share a little bit more with our audience uh, what your organization are doing and what makes you an ecosystem builder. Matt, do you want to start?
2: sure so the sme finance forum was created by the g20 countries as a, a center for knowledge exchange networking and public private dialogue to to work on improving the access to finance that small businesses around the world would like to have it's managed by the international finance corporation which is the private sector arm of the world bank where i've worked for the last 17 plus years and I guess you could say we're basically, we were founded to be an ecosystem builder because the G20 recognized that there are a lot of obstacles to improving the services that small businesses get from the financial sector. They recognized that creating a way to bring people together, to help people learn from each other Link to new business and partnership opportunities and to to lead an industry more constructive dialogue with policymakers might be useful. And so over the last uh, six plus years, we've been building a global network. Uh, So we're not a national ecosystem builder, we're Mm -hmm. a global ecosystem builder of, you know, trying to bring together banks, fintechs, non-bank financial institutions, uh development banks, uh, tech companies and you name it. Anyone who's got a stake in giving SMEs access to finance or providing services to companies that are trying to finance SMEs. That's our ecosystem and we're seeing the power of growing it because we started with about 80 institutions in the first year and now we're over 200 members.
1: Well, wow, that's impressive. Thanks Matt. Ezio, tell us about BAI.
3: Right. Yeah, and BAI um, we're a nonprofit, independent organization. Uh, we've been enabling leaders from the financial services ecosystem for almost 100 years now, and this has evolved throughout the years and different things that we do to help the industry. Uh, it includes banks, credit unions, fintechs, non-banks, um, and our mission is to give financial service leaders the confidence to make smart decisions every day. Uh, we do that through a lot of different ways that we bring the communities together. Uh, we do it through roundtables. We do it through research. Uh, and we do it through thought leadership. Um, And so really bringing that community together, helping to solve problems, to create the overall industry, kind of making sure that all boats are rising uh, and and sharing best practices. And what I do on on the research side is we help with um, providing syndicated research and comparative analytics so that FIs can understand how they're doing and where their uh, strategies are are playing out and, and what they need to do to change.
1: Great. And uh, Matt said that uh, he has a more uh, a global um, focus, of course. Do you have a specific geographical uh, one or uh, as well, much more global?
3: Yeah, it's a good question. We do mostly in the U.S. here as far as some of our um, comparative analytics, but I think a lot of the things that we've done to build that up over the years are applicable from a global perspective. And then BAI overall, we actually do a lot of the global innovation awards. We're actually about to be Um, uh, putting those out in August here. So we do have a global reach from that perspective, but the research and the consortium base that we do right now is concentrated in the U.S.
1: Great. Rodrigo, your turn.
3: So let me start
4: uh, t- t- telling a little bit about my, my track record, because I've been working in, in, in the banking industry um, for more than 15 years, in banks like Citibank, Barclays, or Santander. And I realized that uh, something has happened in terms of the the, the technology and the new digital uh, business models that are coming to the, to the sector. And this is why Almost 12 years ago, I decided to 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 jump into the fintech ocean to try to understand how to help these uh, these uh, these sides, these both sides of the of the financial sector. So, so during these uh, these past years, I had the opportunity on one side to create um, a huge community of CEOs of fintechs in Latin in Europe, with more than uh, 3,000 uh, fintechs, um, and also. Uh, was one of the founders of the American and the European uh, fintech uh, uh, alliances of associations and also the the, the founder of the president of the Spanish fintech association, gathering more than 40 countries in terms of uh, fintech hubs. And also I was trying and I was connecting uh, uh, banks uh, with fintechs or with the fintech solutions in order to accelerate the the, the digital time transformation, but I realized that it wasn't enough. Uh, so, so uh, I decide found a uh, uh, Finovating and this is why we create a digital a global space uh, in order to accelerate the connections and the collaboration between both industries and this is why uh, we launched Finovating less than a year ago and, and the, the first B2B matching as a service platform all digital that connects that today we are connecting 60, 60 Thousand fintech solutions in the world, also insurtechs and regtechs, uh, with banks, uh, with insurance companies, with all kind of companies that are uh, trying to reinvent the way uh, they, of, of they are doing open innovation. And we are connecting and helping to invest and doing business worldwide. Today we have come uh, uh, fintech companies uh, active in the in the platform from more than 130 and and thirty countries, um, and we are creating something that. I think it's it's, uh, very, very neat in the market today.
1: Great. So uh, three real uh, matchmaker, I would say, (laughs) definitely. So... But let's start uh, um, first uh, uh, a little bit uh, um, doing some stakeholder mapping. Uh, and I'd like to start with uh, with you, Ezio. Um, I have a look at uh, uh, one of the latest works that BAI directed through uh, Vantage Partners to map out the fintech and banking ecosystem. And would you like maybe to give us a little bit uh, um, your general perspective on of the state of the things and what you have found out in that uh, research.
3: Yeah, thank you. Yeah, one of the things that we want to do is really to understand the lexicon because there isn't a common lexicon in the US or globally. Everybody kind of has their different perception of what the FinTech ecosystem is or is not. And so we wanted to start to to map that out and understand how can we have some common ways when we talk about things. And, And it's extremely complex. There's a wide variety of participants so the way we framed the ecosystem in, in our approach was to look at really three primary participants and then go from there. Uh, we looked at financial providers, um, enablers, and then non-finance distributors. And even within the financial providers, we broke that down into two different types of financial providers. Those that are self-sufficient providers, providing products direct to consumers or through a channel partner, that's the traditional banks, the credit unions, and, and those that compete against the traditional banks and credit unions like the licensed native fintech banks like SoFi. And then we have enabled providers, and these are entities that provide uh, a partner bank's products directly to consumers. Uh, The bank provides the license or platform and enables a provider originates and often services the consumer. So that's how we looked at the financial uh, uh, financial providers. The enablers then are the providers that provide technology, the data and tools that enable the industry. And they also sell uh, to and through these enabled financial uh, providers. And then those non-finance distributors, those are participants from outside the financial services industry that distribute products within the value chain like Starbucks or Ubers or the airlines. And they partner with both traditional and fintechs to provide those underlying products. So once we started to frame that out, then you start to see how they all work together a lot of people talk about them competing or trying to put each other out of business, but often we find that they're actually enabling each other throughout the ecosystem, like any good ecosystem, like you'd find on a farm, you find different pieces that help each other out um, and make it all work. And so um, in in other words, we're seeing, you know, a lot of the fintech are starting to uh, go into areas that are niche and need, they find opportunities that have been not provided by the larger providers in the past. Maybe they've got new technology that they don't have to worry about some of the infrastructure uh, challenges that the the legacy providers have. Um, And so they start to be able to cultivate that and understand those needs. But they also then depend on a lot of the regulatory and other type of developed solutions that have been in there in the marketplace. So it's no longer just a competing. It's much more of a cooperation competition type of environment that we're seeing.
1: Yeah, you, you touched base on some very interesting words like competition, collaboration of course, uh, um, and we will see, we will deep dive a little bit more into that later in our conversation. Um, But before, I want to ask Matt uh, another question um, about especially the SME finance uh, um, uh, environment. Uh, You, of course, have a strong experience in that. uh, And uh, uh, we can define the SME, allow me to say, as a special category, probably. Uh, that is not always taken into great consideration by big financial institutions, I would say, despite being uh, the actual economic engine of many countries, uh, honestly. Um, so according to your experience, uh, um, which is the role of fintech within the SME finance, and uh, how do you position SME in um, the ecosystem, the fintech ecosystem itself?
2: Well, I'm very glad you, you asked that. Um, if you had asked me a few years ago, I would have said um, SME is not a big thing for the fintech universe <laughs> because, uh, and and really it it is changing and I'll talk about why it's changing. But, um, you know, for the most part, and I say this as someone who spent his career, you know, more than four decades working on mostly issues in emerging market countries and, and places where Exclusion from the financial sector is more common than inclusion in the financial sector. Uh, Most fintech has, has in its early days up until fairly recently, has been chasing how to provide even more services for people that have lots of services already and very marginally improve the way they're served. Um, SMEs have always been left out of this. (laughs) Uh, Even before there were fintech The dirty little secret of bankers is that, of course, no one could say that they didn't like SMEs, but no one had a good recipe for making money off them as clients. And so you said all the nice things, but in practice, you tried to avoid the market as much as you could. And and I think that we are really approaching a sea change in that, both from the fintech Uh, you know, if the fintechs are seeing demand and we're seeing more and more fintechs looking at this space as a real area of opportunity, whether they're working in developed markets or emerging markets. And at the same time, we're seeing because of the technological possibility they're bringing, in particular, because of the acceleration of the general digitalization and the boost that COVID and movement restrictions gave that, that's, really, really powered uh, a universe that wasn't available in SME financing before and now is growing rapidly and folks are starting to harness it. Where I don't want to overstate where we are because I think we still have many, many challenges and there's trillions of dollars of business on the table and there's even more trillions of dollars of SME um, receivables that are bottled up in in really inefficient payments, uh, supply chain systems. So we have a long way to go. But I really do think we've turned a corner in the 2020s from where we've been for as the rest of my career.
1: That's quite interesting. Thanks, Matt. Um, and, and let's now deep dive a little bit more into uh, the banks that we we were um, mentioning quite a lot in in this initial conversation. Uh, You, Rodrigo, mentioned, of course, your background in uh, Citibank, Santander, so you have quite an experience in, in that. And uh, and of course, you are all supporting very much the connection between fintechs and, and incumbents. Um, but do what? What do you think, Rodrigo? Is the status right now um, of this relationship between uh, incumbents, especially banks, and fintechs?
4: So I think I think it has uh, it has been a very very interesting trip. Uh, if we see, for example. Uh, the, the 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 last ten years, I would say that we can we can see about two different phases. The first um, phase, uh, probably the, the first five years of the collaboration, I think it was more marketing and even theater than mm-hmm. the real projects. Uh, the, what the the corporations the the incumbents want to do with the fintech. So they see like sometimes even exotic to work (laughs) and to talk and to do things with this kind of new solutions. Like the
1: innovation label attached to that.
4: Absolutely, absolutely. (laughs) It's like a check. Uh, We are doing things about innovation and we can see a lot of, CEOs of big corporations saying that they are having, you know, the incubators, the accelerators or the innovation programs, saying that they are doing things with this uh, new kind of players of the of the of the block. So so it, it was the first five years. Um and and I think it was very expensive for some of them, and with not a lot of big successes in terms of of business. However, in the last five years, I see even even with after the pandemic. Uh, a need of collaboration because uh, most of these the, these corporations and even the SMEs they need to collaborate with the, the, the new solutions, with the new embedded solutions, with the software solutions, with the SaaS solutions that the FinTechs or even InsurTechs are providing to the ecosystem, to the whole ecosystem. So the last five years has changed a lot, and I see how 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 many corporations are starting to create departments or even. Uh, innovation or tech departments looking for the, the best solutions to work with. And most of them uh, are starting from the business side, from the business units. And I think this is one of the most important things uh, we need to help from the fintech industry to the business units, because with that it's going to help for, for, for this growth. So what I'm seeing is that uh, probably uh, in the next five years, we are going to see much more uh, um, uh, uh, collaborations. In fact, we have some, some, some reports inside that we see a massive uh, uh, raising of collaboration up to seven, uh, 27 times up to 2025 20 from, from the pandemic. So we are going to see a lot of uh, companies, a lot of uh, SMEs working, collaborating, and uh, using the FinTech uh, solutions because it's the only way to, to, to scale the innovation uh, and to scale the efficiency of the, of the, of the companies.
1: Thanks, Rodrigo. So more sort of a problem solution kind of approach, like uh, um, uh, the business unit is discovering they have a problem and they look exactly for the f- solution that they need, if I understood correctly.
4: Absolutely. So that's, that's, the, that's the point.
2: And I was going to say that's very consistent with what I was describing earlier, that I I, I have no problem understanding why Rodrigo feels a lot of the initial collaboration of banks and fintechs was all show, because they were trying, even if they were semi-sincere, they were targeting the well-served elite clients of the bank and trying to impress them. And there wasn't much more margin there anyway. So there wasn't going to be a lot of return. Now they're focusing on real areas where there are demand supply gaps. And from a business point of view, that's where there is real return. And so you have to be much more serious in your partnership if you're looking at these things uh, from, you know, in terms of let's really expand our markets and not just try to capture a marginal additional share of well-served markets already. And this is what... Um, you know, this is why fintechs are going to be so important going forward, but maybe why they were overhyped in the beginning, because they were working in the wrong areas where absolutely. they didn't make as much of a difference.
4: Yeah, yeah ab- absolutely. And, and let me let me uh, answer your uh, opinion, because I am I absolutely agree with, with that. In fact, during the first five years, only 30% of the companies uh, were B2B of, of the fintechs, and now have changed. 70% of them are B2B so this is why even the own fintechs learn and 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 change their maturity in order to be better providers of the the, the financial industry so this is this is not only the problem of the big corporations it was also the problem of that the maturity and the focus of the the first fintechs that uh, we we saw in the market
1: definitely it's kind probably of a, a miscommunication of course we have to think that there are two different worlds um, um, connecting. So definitely they need probably a little bit of time to get to the actual maturity they need to, to talk uh, profitably with each other. Um, so double clicking on that, uh, um, let's say then finance then is becoming uh, more an ecosystem uh, overall. and each bank has uh, sort of uh, create uh, a real community to provide, uh, as you said, uh, efficient services, much more efficient services. Uh, some people are saying, of course, about open banking, uh, others call it open finance, um, and innovation, regulators are pushing uh, definitely for a more open banking system. So, Considering all this that we we already said, do you think it's already leading to a real and i'm I'm saying real uh, underlying banking communities, or which steps do you think are are still needed to reach the goal? It's a question for everybody
2: well, look, i I will tell you that it it's it's not uniform around the world. um you have you have markets that, where the regulators have made things reasonably open in terms of access, whether it's access to data, whether it's the access to the right to offer different financial services. And then you have other regimes where uh, licensing and regulation are very restrictive. Uh, You know, there it's, the countries are trying to structure who can provide what services when, and then you have countries like China that were one way and are now (laughs) going almost the opposite direction. So it's, What we can say, I think, uh, maybe I'll be labeled a a more, um, uh, you know, labeled politically for this, but I think that the, the more open and competitive environments that are allowed, where there's less fuss about who can get a license to do this financial service and that financial service, they seem to be the ones that are more conducive to having fintechs grow and play a bigger role in and, and helping the financial sector evolve more rapidly to serve. Um, I think certainly uh, the the incredible inclusion progress that was made in China was was possible because of an enabling attitude of a government that we don't often look on as as enabling from a Western point of view, but they were very enabling of innovators in the financial space. And if they hadn't been, um, you would still find hundreds of millions of Chinese without access to basic bank accounts, much less the other incredible products and service they get from the likes today of Baidu, Tencent, and Alibaba uh, mm-hmm. affiliates. Um, so it, it's it, the world is a very diverse place. Uh, policymakers are not of one mind about how to support this. But I think We can see enabling ones. And if I was looking at who I think are some of the most enabling today, I would not point to Western economies. I would point to places like Singapore and India right now, where they're they're not only being very open and open-minded about who can compete for what, but they're also investing in infrastructure, core infrastructure that provides a base for everyone, which lowers the cost of innovation.
1: Yeah, and definitely you mentioned Singapore, and uh, regarding fintech ecosystem, it's definitely one of the gems of uh, uh, of um, uh, innovation activity, for sure. Uh, Isio, do you have any opinion uh, around this?
3: Yeah, so I, I think the banking communities rally, and you use the word enablers, Matt. But um, you know the, whether it's impetus or enablers or some type of action that's going on, whether it's regulatory action or if there's um, obviously, COVID was a big thing that allowed the banking community to rally together in a, in a common interest to be able to provide, uh, you know, answers to what they needed to. So uh, we did that, you know, through roundtables. You know, PPP was a big thing here in the U.S. We got the uh, the groups together that were trying to figure this out in a short amount of time and they work together to be able to be able to address a, a big need that was going on in the industry. We see with regulatory approach, a lot of standards that are needed in the industry to be able to uh, share information amongst each other. And so it's these impetuses that have uh, a real be- ability to rally these communities uh, together. Now, with that said, uh, you have to have um, almost a forum already created to be able to have people that know where to come together how to facilitate conversation, what to exchange and how to prioritize uh, where it is that they need to to create these communities and and solve problems or um, help with the opportunities. Uh, We actually look at some key elements of of doing that. So we've got different ways for consortiums where we have give gets and the roundtables we've talked about. Um, We like to use the term alert, uh, agnostic, listen, expectations, relevance and trust. You know, you need to have an agnostic community that has an intermediary, somebody that cannot take sides, but it can help structure the community and facilitate the conversation without a biased interest, to be able to really go ahead and take the common things together, um, whether that's regulatory or technology or standardization. Uh, listening, making sure we're listening to those communities uh, and not just trying to uh, uh, you know, push a synthesized agenda, setting the right expectations about give to get and make sure that it's not a lopsided value for one participant versus the others and making sure that they're all getting a value. Otherwise, it's not sustainable or scalable. And then relevance, making sure that the information that is going through is shared and, 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 um, and is specific to the groups that are trying to, because you know, these banks are not, and fintechs, they're, they're not monolithic. There's specific personas within each of them that are trying to solve specific things. And so you need to continue to make sure there's relevance specific to them. And of course, the the trust factor, right? I mean, they have to have trust that amongst each other, they're not uh, stealing each other's ideas, uh, that they're doing things in a way that they uh, can be open and have discussions, again, that are better for the overall industry. So a lot of the the impetus has got to be there for them to come together. But you also have to have a place for them to know where they can come together, feel safe about getting and working together, and then continuing that community that, that serves the entire industry.
1: Thanks. So we are just pausing for a a very short break and we will be back in uh, a minute. The FTS Group builds innovation
3: ecosystems.
1: We engage incumbents, investors, entrepreneurs, technology partners and regulators to build trusted and connected fintech tribes around the world. We firmly believe that innovation in financial services will truly improve people's lives. Learn more on ftsgroup.eu. And we are back at Breaking Banks Europe together with our guests uh, talking about uh, fintech ecosystems. And uh, um, we were just discussing about uh, um, the... um, Banking community uh, as a whole, uh, um, touch base also on uh, different geographies uh, uh, together with our guests. Um, and before that, we also uh, touch upon uh, something that I really want to uh, discuss a little bit more with you guys. Um, so we said that uh, banks, uh, they need to face the fact that they need to offer uh, much better services because the consumers are demanding for that. And therefore, the collaboration And not, uh, as Rodrigo was mentioning, only the marketing and label innovation is required. Um, So... My question to you all, um, it's really about the consumers. So um, banking, as we said, is becoming more an ecosystem thing uh, with the consumers having uh, an access to a wide range of services. Uh, So what are the the implications for consumers when we talk about this all open banking system, uh, there are all benefits you think, or there is a dark side on that?
2: If I could weigh in here for, and I want to build on a point that Isio made, a very important point, that banks too are a very diverse group. And um I know we're talking about breaking banks Europe, uh, and I'll get to Europe in a second. But if you look in the US, you know we have about 7,000 or so banks, and, and we had 14,000 back in 1990 when I started looking at this. And it's not the big ones that are going away. It's the littler ones. And they were historically the ones that were closer to customers. And we've had some good counter forces lately, especially in response to COVID. If we look at the Paycheck Protection Program in the U.S., when the U.S. first rolled that out, of course, the big banks were the only ones who had the relations with the Treasury and the Small Business Administration. They got in and then there was bad publicity. They were giving a lot of loans to Hilton Hotels and American Airlines and, I don't mean U.S. Airlines. I mean American Airlines yeah. Corporation. And people said, that's not small business. That's not what this program is for. So they, the government did a very clever thing. They reached out to the fintech community and said, we need you in this program too. And what happened was a double game because some fintechs responded directly, but other fintechs made partnerships and with it was with the smaller and medium-sized banks. And we saw some great examples of really concrete ways that they could work together to offer these things to the smaller firms in their communities. And Europe is, is in a slightly different situation because you really don't have Europe-wide dominant banks, but you still do have pressure from regulators and the smaller banks are under pressure. And I think in Europe, there is also an opportunity because you see how fintechs, when they're allowed to play a role, whether it's in, in the way the, the British government enabled fintechs a bit later on in their recovery program or other governments, they've been able to work both directly and with financial institutions to do more for more people but they don't tend to work with the the you know the top You know, by asset size, banks they tend to work with the smaller ones, which I like because it prevents you having a situation that you have in markets like, at least up until recently, the UK, Australia, Canada. They tend to be Anglophone countries where you have very few banks controlling all the market, and there's no incentive to innovate then. And they get into this model where five percent of your customers pay for the other ninety-five percent, and there's no way you're going to get good service when that's your your situation. So we really, we really should be pushing for um you know more open situations where you can't monopolize the data on the transactions as a big bank. And uh, you you let the fintechs, you let the other banks with customer consent have access to this and you stimulate a more competitive market than we've been developing over the last few de- decades in the global financial sector.
4: Yes, yes. That that's really interesting what Matt has mentioned about the 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 differentiation uh, depending of the region that you are thinking thinking of for for example Europe that probably has been one of the the leaders in terms of open banking, PSD2, uh trying to accelerate the 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 competition between between banks and 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 helping fintechs to, to grow and and to use the data from from from, from the, the, the customer because at the end the, the data are, are are from the customers are not for the banks. Um, but has been a very very complex um, trip in order to to deploy PSD2 and to help the 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 the, the fintechs to to use the data of the, of the the fintechs or other banks to use the data of the of the customers at the end the, the clients doesn't matter if they are working with a sometimes with a bank a small bank or a fintech they need solutions so they need banking mm-hmm. solutions but probably they are not thinking about if there is a bank or or whatever however that's very important to think about the the, the implications of having an open banking law or framework that for example other countries are using, like for example, Latin America, that is uh, allowing to develop a lot of new solutions to help not only banks, but also other fintechs. Um, uh, these kind of companies that are seeing that uh, Euro, for example, is very co- a, a very competitive market. They are changing from B2C to B2B businesses in order to use also this business to go through another regions that are properly less com- competitive in terms of the number of banks or the number of, of, uh, of, uh, of competitors, like for example, Asia, or for example, um, uh, Latin America. So there is a, an important, um, um, how can I say, flow of new companies and, and new solutions using the data and using uh, the, the solutions to help uh, other fintechs or other banks in other regions. So uh, at the end, I think uh, uh, BSD2 is also helping and the open banking is helping uh, uh, to develop not only Europe, but also other regions in the world.
1: And thinking about that, I would like to add another element to the discussion, um, including a topic that uh, we we hear a lot lately, which is embedded finance. Um, And of course, how the non-financial players like, I don't know, for example, Booking.com or others are entering in the fintech field. Because at the end, as you said, the consumer doesn't care from who the, the service is coming, but they want a seamless and, and efficient kind of experience. So all in one solution, let's put it like that. So w- what role do you think these companies uh, are, are playing within the ecosystem we are talking about?
2: I think this gets to what you and Isio were talking about earlier, about just how complex the fintech universe is. I mean, I I, I would almost argue that we we and IFC used to talk about we have the financial sector and we have the real sector and the real sector you know it makes things it provides services <laughs> and the financial sector does financing I'm not sure that distinction holds up anymore. When you find uh, logistics companies like Maersk or TNT or, or FedEx offering all these financial services to buyers and sellers, when you have Facebook, Amazon, Alibaba, Tencent, you know, uh, doing all these financial services, what Grab, Mercado Libre, Jumia, all you know, what's a real sector company? What's the financial (laughs) sector company nowadays? It's because, as you said, the consumer wants it all in one space. They don't want to have to, they're getting more and more used to electronic commerce, to internet-based commerce. And they want to have that one environment where they can do everything they want. They want to find what they want to get. They want to pay for it. They want to insure it. They want to arrange the transport. And this is the essence of what sometimes gets called embedded finance, which is wrong because it's not about finance being Mm. embedded in something else. It's about everything being embedded (laughs) in everything else. And people want a one platform to offer the full experience. And this is really, really exciting, um, especially from the small business point of view, because We always had this conundrum because, look, I've defended small business and the crappy treatment they got from banks, but a lot of small businesses were in terrible shape, and that's why the bankers didn't want to deal with them. But they it was because they didn't only have bad finances, they had bad management, and they didn't have control of their markets. They didn't know their customers and their suppliers. Now, these platforms... We couldn't do all that before, before we had digital. We said, you can't do that. You got to specialize in finance. If you're going to be good at small business, just do finance. Forget the rest. Today, we give 100% opposite advice. You want to be competitive? Try to do it. Open up. <laughs> Find a way to, to be, be partners with other people. Offer the full range. Give the And whether you start from the real sector or the financial sector, offer it all through partnerships, on your own, whatever works.
3: And I think yeah. you get on a good point, Matt. I mean, a lot of it, you know, the, the big word there is friction, right? So if you can reduce friction and before we had literally geographical or different uh, uh, boundaries that, that prevented us from being able to eliminate that friction until a lot of the digital came along that reduced that, that put oil in there to be able to allow us to be able to do things that we just couldn't before because you had to drive down to somewhere or you had to go and, and do something separate. But now if we can reduce that and I don't have to worry about, you know, getting something done before I go uh, buy a car or buy a a coffee or, you know, Uber obviously was the big one where you got out of the cab, you didn't have to worry about all the, you know, paying with cash or paying with your credit card, all that stuff just made it so easy. And so it's that customer experience that's come out and that everybody expects across the board now. And of course, on the retailer side or on on the, the real side, as you said, it all has to do with what was my abandonment what was i losing before who was walking out the door not completing their transaction because there was too much friction involved and so all of this does is it continues to be able to if you can delight that customer if you can reduce the friction by introducing ways that are seamless then everybody's winning uh in order to be able to you know delight that customer which is ultimately the the buyer that is uh, feeling everything
4: yeah but- let me advance you some 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 figures of our our Finovating platform that, uh, that that during the last six six months the 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 what kind of collaborations are between cor- corporates uh, corporations and and, and fintechs and um, and we can see for example that seventy uh, percent of them uh, has uh, has been has been closed by banks fifty uh, percent by insurance companies eight percent by tech companies or the data corporates and 5% real estate 2% telco telcos and, and mobility so what we can what we can see is that the banks started this collaboration with the, 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 the these, these solutions but on the other side insurance companies tech data real estate telcos are also using the um, the these the, the solutions and when we see what kind of fintechs or are they are looking for most of them more than 30% of them are are embedded solutions are saas solutions are open banking solutions that they are looking for to 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 Embed at the end in, into their businesses. What is going to What is going to happen in the next next years is the the time for SMEs, uh, for the tier two and tier three banks and insurance companies, because all of them they are going to need to incorporate these uh, this, uh, uh SaaS or embedded solutions. But also think about any kind of of um, of company are going to become, to use uh, fintech solutions or finance solutions like payroll advance, like uh, uh, expenses management or uh, e-commerce funding or or financing. So at the end, every kind of company, doesn't matter, every single company is going to use fintech or finance embedded solutions. And that's the the magic of the the fintech sector. That that is not only the digitalization of the traditional banking industry, is for every single company in the world.
1: I don't remember who was saying that uh, every company uh, can be a fintech company, then.
4: (laughs) That's right.
2: Well, finance will be in everything. And and look, Europe is actually, I mean, people bash Europe for a lot of reasons, but I would say that Europe's actually sitting in a fairly encouraging Mm -hmm. position right now because of PSD2, because of SEPA, your unified payment system. This is something we haven't really talked about. At, At the core of all this, whether we're delivering finance to consumers, to businesses, whatever, the core information is about the in and out transactions mm-hmm. and having as close to real time access to that so you can understand the risks and opportunities. And the trouble is in forget. Groups of countries. In most countries, you don't have interoperable systems, so you can't get it a complete three hundred degree, three hundred sixty degree picture. But in Europe, with SEPA, we're moving in the right direction, and and if you then couple that with rules that, all right, they're going to be teething problems making PSD two. To work, there always are in Europe, but but if you can make it work and you have those two components, and then you combine that with another initiative that at least is based in Europe, it's based in Switzerland, the legal identifier, the legal entity identifier standard, which um, the Bank for International Settlements is trying to. Develop. I think it originally started in Germany. So I want to give Europe credit, <laughs> credit for credit <this>. to everybody. <laughs> and, 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 and and the European Union credit for this. And, and 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 you combine all those things so you have really strong ID. Um, you also need that for consumers, but I don't really want to wade into that that space. Um, you know, and, and you have real-time transactions out there and available with customer consent, then the sky's the limit about. Where fintechs and banks and others can work together to create this ideal uh, frictionless environment that isio described, but where you, where you put roadblocks to that, then they're going to be people who are the people, at least in my line of work, we're most concerned about women, minorities, displaced people, rural people. They're going to lose out because they've historically lost out because they've been off the, they've been off the radar with respect to access to critical information.
1: Yeah. And uh, you mentioned that, Matt, and I just want to add that because I know you are working a lot with emerging markets, but many times it's not really we think about emerging markets so far away, but actually underserved uh, people are also in Europe. So we do have quite some work to do in that sense as well. All right, guys. I'm sorry to uh, cut the uh, the conversation um, at this point, but the time we have it's uh, it's quite short. So I do have one very last question for for you all before closing up this, uh, this episode. Um, and I would be very happy if you can share with our audience uh, where can we find you, find more information about uh, your organization and if there is uh, any uh, particular news you want to share or uh, maybe something uh, interesting that it's, it's, it's coming up uh, soon. Matt, I think you you have something coming up in September, if I'm not wrong.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, my, my subtle virtual background marketing is working, I see. Yeah. Uh, not so subtle. <laughs> um, so the, you can find out more about the work of the SME Finance Forum through our website at, at www.smefinanceforum.org. There's a lot of useful publicly available information there. Uh, we also do have, as I said earlier, members who are financial sector participants. I wanna deliberately use a broad, broad term because it's a very broad group. Um, and, and members that get additional services and access to uh, learning, linking, and leading with each other. Um, and then we have an annual meeting called the Global SME Finance Forum that we've done for the last six years, and we're about to do round seven. But most importantly, after two years of having to do this virtually, we're returning to having a physical meeting. Thank goodness. Hooray. <laughs> uh, at, and and we're going to be in Phnom Penh, Cambodia. So yes, we will be in an emerging market country, a very interesting country with respect to financial sector innovation yeah. uh, from the 19th to the 21st of September. And that meeting is open to everyone. Members come for free. Non-members have to pay a small ticket fee. And you can find out more about that on the website reference I gave earlier.
1: Great. Thanks a lot, Matt. Izio, where can people uh, find out more about BAI and which are your upcoming initiatives?
3: Great. Yeah, you can find more at uh, BAI.org. And uh you know, Out there, you can see a lot of our executive roundtables, uh, and, and we have CMO, CHRO, uh, CFO-type re- executive roundtables and some of the participation there, um, and even just having conversations about uh, what we do here in the U.S. and how that could apply in other, uh, other countries, we'd be happy to help you there. Uh, in regards to some of the things we've got coming up, you'll also see on the website that uh, in our 12th year, we've got our BAI Global Innovation Awards, and that recognizes four thinking financial services organizations. Uh, And this year, similar to the conversation we just had, we're not limiting it to to specific categories. It can be anything financial services related to improving businesses or or retail customer relationships, uh, leading organizational changes, and serving communities. And we're also introducing this year a Rising Star Award which will honor up-and-coming financial services leaders. And so our judges will look for candidates who are innovative and passionate and intellectually curious and making a positive impact on financial services. So if you get a chance, check that out. I think we've got uh, nominations open until August 26th. And so we'd love for you guys to go in and uh, submit your nominations.
1: Great. Curious to see who is going to win that. Rodrigo.
4: So very, very easy, Uh, finobedi.com, that all of you are invited to be part of this uh, global and digital community, uh, this uh, matching platform and join the 60,000 fintechs uh, from more than 130 countries, uh, more than 10,000 corporations and and investors, uh, that they are looking for companies like you, or um, if you're a, a big big bank or a bank or or a or a, a kind of SME, just a, a better place to to find the, your 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 potential partner or your company to to collaborate, to grow, or even to buy or, or invest. So very very happy to have you all of you on board, and, and we will see you probably in some of the uh, physical events of uh, SME Finance Forum or Dubai and, and etc. <laughs>
1: Great, Rodrigo. Thanks a lot. So we reached the end of this episode. And of course, I really want to thank my uh, amazing guests. Thanks a lot, guys. And of course, thank you very much to our audience for joining uh, um, us today. Always remember to follow Breaking Banks Europe on all streaming platforms and of course, social media. I am Francesca Liberti and see you all next week. Ciao.